Well, good morning, Shore Church. It is really, really good to be back. Uh, we had a great time away on vacation, feeling very rested, had such a fun time with the family. Uh, and I know talking to the staff, many of them had some time away and are feeling refreshed. Uh, big thank you to Norm. Thank you, brother, Norm Funk, and my dad, David Bonney, and of course, Jordan, for covering just those four weeks of preaching. Uh, as you can probably tell, we are not in the same location. We were at a totally new location. We are at Lionsgate Christian Academy. We're getting ready uh, for next week where we are, Lord willing, going to be regathering in person. Woo! Some of you just cheered. I know you did. Really excited about that. And um, so we've actually put a little video together that will, you know, just share a little bit about what to expect. And I'll share some things after the video. We'll add some of that uh, before we get into Amos today. So here's the video. Here's what to expect at a short church gathering at Lionsgate Christian Academy. Head on into the main entrance. You may park in the staff parking lot. If no spaces are available, there's plenty of street parking in the area. After you've parked, head to the main entrance of the school. There will be a host there to greet you, ensure that you're registered. They'll also offer you a mask if you do not have one of your own. Once checked in, we ask that you please sanitize your hands. Once you've sanitized, head on down the stairs, turn to the left and head to the gymnasium. Once you reach the gymnasium, an usher will be there to show you to your seat. Please know that we've taken every safety precaution we can to clean all of your seats to create the safest worship environment as possible. Once the singing portion of our service begins, we ask that you please place your mask on as per the regulations set forth by the BC Ministry of Health. After singing, feel free to have a seat and take your mask off if you would like. We know it's been a long time since we've seen each other, but we ask that you please refrain from hugging one another and practice safe social distancing. When you're ready to leave, please exit through the northeast door of the gymnasium. Thanks for watching, everyone. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. All right. Yeah. Jordan is going to be the host and the usher. So you'll look forward to seeing him a lot. Let me say a few things in regards to this. First, we will, um, as we're looking ahead to the fall, of course, we'll be watching very closely how the schools are reopening, uh, what Bonnie Henry is saying about regathering. If, if more, you know, COVID cases spike, we will definitely respond, put safety of our community first, and we'll go back to what we've been doing and just uh, film like this. But as of now, we are planning to post a, regist a registry for the gathering. So on Wednesday at 9 a.m., you will need to register. There, there will be about 40 or so spots. So please register. Uh, you can go to the website. It'll give you more information about that. Um, but let me say this. To those who are coming, to those who are registering and you're coming in and we're going to regather, I want you to remember that yes, we gather, we gather to worship, enjoy uh, Jesus. We, 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 we gather to hear the word. We gather to sing. We gather to respond uh, and, and enjoy and commune with God. But we also gather to build one another up. 
right? To strengthen one another's faith. We gather, when we gather, with spiritual gifts to give away. And so I felt I wanted to share these verses as a way of reminder for those who are coming back. Here's some of them. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each, that's every man, woman, Young and old, if you're in Christ, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Romans 12, 6, having gifts, you know, that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. First Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So here's what I'm saying. When you register, do me a big favor before you close the computer or swipe up, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there someone you want to strengthen, you want to build up, you want to love, use the gifts you've given me for, and pray, God, give me an opportunity. And when you come in on Sunday, uh, ask Jesus if there's ministering to others that you, that he wants you to do and just say, guide me, give me sight to who you wanna bless. Give me a word of encouragement, whatever it is, who do you wanna love and use me. So in connection to this, following the service for those who are uh, gonna be here in person, uh, we will go into a time of ministry. So ministry time. So after the gathering, you're free to go. But if you want to stay around, we're going to just have a time of, of ministry. We're, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And if there's prayer for healing, if, if there's any revelatory words for one another, if there's things that God's been putting on your heart, we'll also have uh, in very safe social distance places in the gym, uh, people that you can go to to receive prayer. Uh, and so when you come, just be ready to minister to each other. Last thing, a few, I know there's a lot of announcements, but next week, so when we start this, we are starting a new series on being victorious in the unseen realm. This is a whole new series on spiritual warfare, understanding demons, principalities, deliverance, the armor of God, standing firm in spiritual conflict. And so we're gonna be anchored in Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 10. So this week, as you're getting into, you know, reading your word, read Ephesians 6, 10 and on. It'll be really exciting. I'm really excited about it, but I'm bringing it up now because in addition to that, we're gonna be having a time of Q&A. So in a series like this, there's gonna be a lot of questions, things I can't be teaching on in a huge way that you will have. Questions that, you know, how specifically spiritual warfare is involved in your life. And so after each sermon, we have five in a five, after each sermon, we're gonna have a time for Q&A. We'll record that and we'll post it uh, for everyone midweek, okay? So lots of announcements, good to be back. Uh, we're gonna close our time in the book of Amos. Uh, we're looking at chapters eight and nine today. So with, with no further ado, let's listen to our last reading of Amos eight and nine. Amos eight, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people, Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. 
Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we shall sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the shaft of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who deals in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about, and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men will faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall faint and never rise again. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people, and those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of this sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again, like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in his heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among the nations, as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the ground, 
All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, Disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In that day I will rise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, and rise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. All right, thank you. Thank you, Natalie. Great reading, awesome reading. Um, all right, as we come to these two last chapters in Amos, uh, I really strongly sense that the Spirit was leading me to focus primarily on a few verses in chapter nine. And so, so uh, since we've had a lot of powerful uh, preaching on some of the reoccurring themes in Amos, I'm gonna summarize Amos eight, if that's okay. Um, and... And I want to pull up maybe a few new emphasis in chapter 8, and then I want to lead us into chapter 9, and then really hone in on those particular verses I felt God wanted me to teach on. And so, um, let, let me do a little recap. So, Amos has been coming into Israel at this point, and he's been showing them visions of judgment that God has on his people for the way that they've been ignoring him and, and trampling on those around them. Um, and then last week, we saw Amos's call in all of that to, to pray and to be silent at times and then to prophesy. And then he goes to Amaziah and he's like, lead your people to change. And he goes, get back, get out of here. Go back to your field. Um, and, and Amos 8, 1 begins with, this is it. This is the final draw. If you look at it, it'll be on the screen. It says this, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Summer fruit is ripe fruit. It's, it's full, perfect, ready now. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. So this is where, if you can imagine, where the judge walks into the courtroom after, after weeks, days, hours of listening, deliberating, hours of evidence and patience, and tears, and now there's a clear verdict. The ripeness is the inevitable judgment, and it's now here um, and so, as I said, we're going to do it over. You can see this on the screen. Uh, you see in verses one to three, the judgment itself. And then in verses four to six, it's implications. And, and then with, with, with this indictment on them for their fake, empty religious practices and ongoing injustice. And then in verses seven to 10, you get this verdict. And then 11 to 14, this punishment. And let me just, this is, it's heartbreaking. Right? I mean, I don't know about you, but... Um, one of the analogies that came to my mind was, have you ever seen a, maybe like a couple, like a like, you know, married couple in real life or maybe on a TV drama where one of the spouses is, is so timid, is gracious, is loving, is a sacrificial, is laboring to, to love and serve the other. And it's just met with this, 
this continuous abusive spouse who just uses them, who, who takes advantage of them, who ignores them, manipulates them, neglects them, ravages them emotionally and physically. And it, it's so heartbreaking, right? Even when you're watching the show, you're like, I want something bad to happen to that person. And, and, and this is what they're doing to God, to their rescuer, to their king, right? It's heart-wrenching. Um, another passage that came to mind to describe them was, you know, in Jesus, when he highlights the unforgiving servant, you remember in the parable of Matthew 18 where this servant owes his master, like, I mean, hundreds and thousands of dollars. He's in debt and he comes to him and he pleads with him for mercy. And the master, what does he do? He gives it to him. He, he, he forgives the whole debt. Like that's the most unimaginable, the most incredible moment in this servant's life. And then what happens next? That guy's servant comes to him, owes him like a few dollars, like pennies in comparison. And, and this is what we read, verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And listen to what the guy who had everything wiped away, forgiven, mercy shown says, verse 30, he refused and went away and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And you kind of go like, really? Like you didn't love the mercy that you received after experiencing it? You know, the, this is the most immeasurable kind of, of, of life-changing moment and it doesn't affect you in any way. And this is them. This has been Amos's point. Your, your complacency, which while you're pretending godliness only to care about your self-indulgence, self-affluence is at the horrific cost of, of running over everyone is enough, right? In verse four, he says, hear this, you trample on the needy and, and bring the poor of the land to the end, saying in verse five, when will the new moon be over that we may sell again? He's like, when's church done so I can go rip some people off? Go sleep with who I want to sleep with. Just... In the parable, you know, it finishes in Matthew 18, 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And he cast him out. So this is Amos 8. Now, um, what really stood out to me, and I want to emphasize this in Amos 8, if you look, take your, take your beautiful eyes to verse 11. This is the most devastating, I think, judgment in the entire book. Um, look at verse 11. Behold, he says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, and then we read, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. And you're thinking like, is there a worse famine? There is. But of what? Of hearing the words of the Lord. Oh man, one of the things uh, God has been recently, uh, I think leading me into, um, has been just growing a deeper friendship with him uh, in my prayer life by by 
talking to him like he's my best friend and, and just sharing with him what's going on and, and being able to ask him questions. And then he's been calling me just to stop and to listen. And there've been some beautiful moments where, I'm, where I'm, I can really hear his voice. And, and, and you've experienced this. There's so many times in when you open up your Bible and God's presence, I mean, it's not every time, but when he does, you're like, I just heard from him in his word. Uh, let me say it this way. I can't imagine as a friend of Jesus, not hearing his words. Like not being in a, this dialogue with him in his word, in, in prayer, sharing in his affections. What's so sad about this is this will be taken away. God will give them over to what they want. And what do they want? Life without his presence. Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life that they, that they know you. Like intimacy, to abide in the presence of God, to know God is to begin to hear him. And as we hear him, we come into our full identity. As we hear him, we know who we are, right? The stuff in our lives, it's been so empty. When we hear him, he comes to show us his grace and his love and we're, who we were created to be and become. You know, if you think about it, nothing characterized Jesus' life more than his abiding presence with the Father. Like hearing the Father, communing with the presence of the Father, that's, that's one of the purposes of why we exist and have been put on planet earth. To live life with the father. It, it's, is it not interesting that Israel in Amos' day looks a lot like the Pharisees in Jesus' day? Outward religious, all about affluence, trampling over the poor, wanting to be seen in public. See, it, it's possible to, like the Pharisees, read the Bible and never hear the voice of God. That's terrifying to me. Like those in Amos days, that you know, they do the festivals and they never enjoy him. They, they never find their pleasure in him and, and experience his pleasure in them. And it, it's, it's striking that the, that the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they reacted to Jesus the most on his claims to be one with the Father. Like, they could, like he was so one with and present to the Father. It was almost like they were watching him commune when he was like, I only do what I see the Father doing. And they're like, you're calling God your Father? And they just didn't have that. That was happening in this time. You know, he says, you search the scriptures to find eternal life and they point to me and you refuse to come. So let me say this, and this will kind of like tease us for next week, but the demons know that if they can keep you out of God's presence and attune to his voice of what he's done, they will trip you up and defeat you. So, so here, may this spark in you, I don't know where you're at in your summer and in your time and just being able to, to be with Jesus. Like, I mean, really be with him and hear him. And I don't know, you know, what distractions are pulling at you and what stuff you're wrestling with. 
but may this spark in you a fresh yearning to schedule time with Jesus to say, I want to have a listening, abiding relationship with you. Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So we cultivate a discipline of calling to mind the truth that God is with us. He's always with us. Never allow your time with Jesus to become mechanical or ritual. Fight for that. And let me say this, one of the keys to doing this is ask God for his presence. Don't assume it. Okay, tape, like just try this. For the next seven days until we meet again or see each other on a screen, um, for the next seven days, don't just assume God's presence when you get to be with him. Ask for it. Say, Holy Spirit, would you now please come? Come to his word. Come in prayer to meet with someone who loves you, who's died to forgive you, and who's come to bring you present with the Father. Okay, so uh, what's God gonna do? Well, he's gonna bring disaster. This is what we have in, in, in Amos 9, the last chapter. We, we have this quick change here and we see this. You can see the summary on the screen here. Uh, we see where God judges first. We will not escape. Verse one, it says, not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. In verse three, he says, and if they hide from the sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. They can't go anywhere without this judgment happening. We all just try to flee it. You won't be able to. In verses five to 10, we learn where God judges. We will recognize who he is. Uh, you get this huge picture of who he's been for them. And we will not be able to claim any kind of special relationship. We won't be like, well, I'm kind of this lineage or I grew up in this home and it's not gonna matter if your life isn't being transformed by him. And then he says in verse eight, and this is where I wanna begin to start honing into the verses, but look at verse eight, behold. So he says, behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. There's no speciality or partiality. When I see sin, it's, it's, I see it all. And I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. And then we get this word. What, what just would have sparked like a gospel flicker or like a, you know, like a, a flare. This word accept. In, in Ephesians 2, it's the word but. But God being rich in mercy. Accept, he says this that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. So what's he saying? Well, God's purpose in judgment isn't annihilation, but salvation. I like how one commentator put it, he says, God sending Amos to condemn Israel's sin in itself indicates that God had not given up on his people. So, so he explains, Amos explains, God explains in Amos 9, there will be a remnant, a pebble. Um, some of my favorite pieces of art, especially for my kids, because they show me art every day. But my favorite pieces of art from them um, and professional artists are, are when they take old pieces that were like thrown out. So like Nariah, she's the best at this. Uh, she's like known for this in our home. She goes, rifles through the recycling bin, all the tossed out cardboard and all kinds of material and she'll salvage it and she'll create this beautiful artwork. 
And it's really, really, really beautiful and creative. Um, so if she, whatever game she's playing, she'll use it. She'll just rifle through. Or, you know, sometimes you see artwork where, where they recycle and make this, this you know, you, if anyone's ever driven down Georgia, you'll know like stuff like this. It's just this recycled artwork. So what's my point? Well, in the midst of all the junk that was going to be rightly crushed and thrown out, God would find and retrieve for himself a real prize. When God comes in judgment upon those who are so-called or claim to be for him, he does not come to annihilate, but to salvage from it. As Alistair Begg put it, when God comes to shake up the pretenders, he comes in order to shake out those who are the fakes and to set forward those who will be his. And then you get this, this further flash of the gospel when you look at verse 11. So look at verse 11. In that day... So there'll be people in that day who will not hear the voice of God. In that day, though, however, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. When those who loved God, when those remnant, when they heard that verse, they were clapping that they may possess the what? The remnant of Edom. And all the nations, Edom was a nation that was anti-Israel. I mean, he's going after the scattered and, and the farthest. But listen to what it says in verse 12. Declares the Lord who does this. God who does this. It's, it's incredible. In Acts 15, when the gospel goes out to the Gentiles and, and they're beginning to get saved, they bring this to the council of Jerusalem and James quotes this verse and he goes, they're coming in, the nations who are called by my name. And I, and I love this, his promises are faithful. He says this, I will raise up, repair and rebuild. This is what God's doing. By the way, this is what he's always doing in our lives even in the midst of his judgments happening all over. What is he doing? You can see this on the screen. He's lifting the fallen. He's mending the broken. He's replacing the destroyed. And he's reviving the glories of the past. How? Well, it begins with what Amos says. He's gonna raise up the booth of David. Like, what does that mean? Well, many scholars, they, I mean, I've read a lot now. They, they have different emphasis, but in God's story, it's important to remember that when God rescued his people from slavery, death, judgment, Egypt, and he brought them out, he, he, they dwelt in tents. And he also dwelt in the tabernacle, a tent set up for him where people would come and that's where God's presence would dwell. God's presence, his forgiveness, his blessings were all in this tent. It's fascinating. If you do a study uh, of the tabernacle or even the Ark of Covenant within the tabernacle and then the new temple and then, you know, as we see in Acts 2, were the temple. It's a phenomenal study. I encourage you to do it. But but David, what happens is God makes promises to David like he did Abraham to Moses that through this line would come the Messiah who would restore all things and make 
people knew and right with him and he would be, they would, there would be a kingdom forever. You can read about this. There's a lot, but I encourage you to read 2 Samuel 7, the whole chapter. But here it is in verse 16. And your house, speaking to David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so that's the booth, the dwelling place. And when Jesus came in the, in the lineage of David, this was all fulfilled. Connected to this, and I'll just share this, uh, in, in, in the context of the history of where Amos is at in the northern and southern kingdom, when Israel, who was one nation, was divided, Jeroboam, the guy who sets up Israel, he didn't want his people to have the feasts. He, he didn't want to have Israel travel back to the place where the temple was. So what he did is he built, he set up these golden calves so that they could actually have the feasts there. Um, and, and it's, God's people somehow go with it. But, but what happens, and, and the Feast of Booth was just remembering God's provision um, of, of really just where he was and how he loved them. And after Exodus, it was the last fall festival held at the end of the agricultural year when their crops were the best, grapes and olives were harvested in Israel. You can see the promise fulfilled in the last few verses of, of Amos 9. Um, but what was interesting is what what this guy did, what Jeroboam the first did, is instead of having the priest, which should have been the middleman, um, he acted on behalf of God's people. And Alec Moiter, he summarizes this, saying along this line of thought, the raising up of the booth of David signifies the bringing in of the perfect royal mediator, the king who will be everything that was ever wished for in the royal priesthood. So when they, Amos, thought of Booth of David, they thought of a king standing in front of the booth, mediating between God's people, and he's saying, this Booth of David, there's another king, he's gonna come, and there's gonna be a huge new fruit, and, and this is all gonna come and happen in that day. And in Jesus Christ, this was fulfilled. Where we are, we're on this side of that fulfillment. That promise happened. God kept his promise. He's done it. Hebrews 9 let me show you this, says this, but when Christ appeared, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, they're here. Then through the greater and more perfect, what's our word? Tent. Not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, which is how they used to be forgiven, but by means of his own blood, thus securing, because he is God, an eternal redemption. Jesus' blood is our eternal guarantee. And then, then what happens? Just think about the story of God. Jesus rises from death. He has a new body, a new tent, resurrection. And then he promises who's going to come? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This is the third member of the Trinity. This is so exciting. There's no more exciting news than what I'm about to tell you. There's a new repairing work of breached walls. And where's it going to happen? Where's the rebuilding going to happen? In us. 
It's in you. And even people like Ezekiel, who's prophesying in the same redemptive history as Amos, he says this in Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put where? Within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. This was Amos 8 people from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. And what happens in the book of Acts? You know, this Jesus goes into heaven and the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost to come live inside us. Peter says, the prophets told us this day was coming. So Joel, same time period as Amos. Here's another prophecy. They all have different angles, all pointing to the Messiah and the Holy Spirit and who we are, where we are today. And it will, and in the last days, is on the screen, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And, and Peter's like, this is happening today, but what else is happening today? Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Amos 9, 12. All the nations who call upon my name. Like it really happened. Amos 9 happened. When Jesus rose from death, he rose from the judgment on us when Jesus rose from death, he salvaged. He found a great prize. He took upon himself our sin. The booth of David was raised up for you. J.I. Packer, as many as you know, one of the world's greatest theologians of our Century died at, died at 93 on July 17th. He went to go be with his friend Jesus and his savior. And um, I thought I would quote from him be, just to honor him. But listen to what he said in one of his quotes. So he said, where I asked to focus the New Testament message in three words, my proposal would be, here's the three words, adoption through propitiation. And I do not expect ever to meet a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. Propitiation, what is that? It's the sacrifice that removes wrath. Adoption, a remnant, salvaging. To quote once again from Packer, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven brought in for supper and given the family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Uh, one, one of my current favorite worship songs right now is a song called Promises, where it talks about the faithfulness of God and it sings of his faithfulness through the covenants, through his promises, faithful to the end. And the chorus goes, uh, you know, I'm not gonna sing it, but it goes, great is your faithfulness 
do in me. And then there's one part where, you know, it's just the most beautiful voice comes in and she sings and it never runs out and I can't get through it. I cry every time. Like it never runs out. Sure, I can't tell you the central secret of the Christian life is that we are adopted into this relationship as children of the Father. In John 17, Jesus praying to the Father for us, he says this, I've given them the glory that you gave me. So when Jesus says to the Father that he's given us the glory, he's given them the glory, he speaks of the Father's presence, right? The radiance of the glory of God. But why? He goes on. Why? What was, what's the purpose? Listen to what Jesus says, that they may be one as we are one. And then listen to this. I in them and you in me. I in them and you in me is the ultimate point of everything for which Christ came to earth to accomplish. All he suffered on our behalf was to bring us back present to the Father. Um, as I said, and I'll close with this, as I said, uh, I like I this vacation, I would get away probably about an hour or two every day just to go be alone with Jesus up near Bramer Road and get in the forest. And I would come to him with questions that I, that I was asking him and learning how to listen to his voice. And uh, it was a really sweet time. I mean, you know, you're, it's always, you always, if, if you've ever done where you practice to hear God's voice and you ask him questions, um, you're always like, I don't really want to have a relationship with my thoughts, right? So you're kind of like, God, was that you? Is that me? But, you know, I go in every time going, you know, the Lord knows I'm here. The spirit is this close. He knows I'm coming to meet with him. I've I've been in his word. I'm commanding any demonic spirits that they can't also speak. But let me tell you what happened. So the first few days I would go in there, I would always feel like, Um, I haven't met enough obligations. And I would tell him that. Like, I would just talk to him like, he's my best friend, he's right here. And I I would say to him, I know it's not true, but I feel like right now, uh, I'm not good enough for you. Um, Or or there's something that you're just trying to, you know, I need to fix up a bit more. And I would would wake up feeling like, God, I don't sense that you're pleased with me. I don't know if any of you have that, where you just, you feel like God's not pleased with me. I just had this fog. And so I would tell him and the fog would lift and I would, I would break through in prayer and, and he would, I could hear his voice telling me that he loves me. Uh, and it was, it was, it was beautiful moments, but I actually asked him on one of those prayer walks, God, can you break that? Can you just break that, that, that feeling? And so um, that week we went raspberry picking. So we were over at, you know, Krause Farms raspberry picking and I'm the kind of dad, I just love uh, encouraging my kids. Like, and I, re- I genuinely love even the smallest things that they do. 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm in the field with the whole family and, and specifically I'm with Talia and Joseph and I'm just going like, Talia, you're like the best raspberry picker I know. So here's a, here's a picture of Talia picking raspberries. Yeah. And so I'm like, T, you're, just, you're so good at that. And I'm like, Joey, whoa, look how many raspberries you have. And um, so there's another dad with his two kids over in the other field and he hears me and his kids look over at me and he looks to them and says, uh, hey kids, you know what that dad's doing? That dad's just doing positive reinforcement. And he said, I tell you, you guys are stupid so that you'll grow up to be stronger. And I could see in their eyes a huge heartbreak. And he said more things like, you're, I tell you, you guys are idiots. And it, I, it crushed me. And so like I am in this broken, crushed state and I'm supposed to have an incredible day with my whole family. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. So I'm, I'm so bothered. I'm like, Holy Spirit, do you want me to say something? Like, what do you want me to do? And I got the sense like, don't say anything. And uh, so, but it wouldn't leave me. Like it was just haunting me. And so um, I was like, I know what to do. I'll just bless him. So, you know, bless those who persecute. So I was just like, Jesus, I bless him. I pray that he would, you know, find deep love in you and that he would, you know, just, if there's any reasons why he's this way, would you just show, like, I'm blessing him. It won't go away. I get this huge, and I'm like, I'm kind of worried because it won't leave. Like, it's just heavy, heavy burden. And I'm trying to have fun and he's still there. And then I, I just finally, I asked Jesus, cause I'm in this, you know, listening prayer, season, I just asked Jesus, why is this bothering me so much? Usually I can just release stuff. And I heard as clear as day in my mind, because that's who you think I am to you. And it just broke it. He said, you think I am like that dad to you. You think I'm the dad who says to you, you're stupid. And he's like, I'm not. I'm more like you. And I just realized I got a wrong view of the father. And the reason why I felt so heavy, because that's how God feels when I think I'm relating to him like that, dad. And he lifted it. The whole thing was lifted. And, um, I close with that because I know that there are some of us here, you feel like you're not good enough to be salvaged. You feel like I did whenever I approached God, like he's next to me going, you're stupid and I'm gonna make you stronger. That's not the father. That's not from God, which is gonna take us into next week because wallowing in self-hate is the first symptom that you are under a spiritual war. And so if that's you, will you do me a big favor? And maybe you're with people so you don't feel comfortable right now, but just would you put out your hands right now? And would you just say, Jesus, you want to be in me as the Father is in you. Just say, Jesus, you want to be, you want to be in me. You died to come to be in me. 
to unite me as the Father is in you. I'm adopted. Look at me. Since the Holy Spirit came into your life, he has never once left you. And I would just tell God how you're feeling. God, forgive me for relating to you like you're that dad. I know I'm loved by you. And he does. He's, he loves you. So listen, as we exit Amos, um, there's another thing I, that I had on my heart. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit because listen, the whole time in that last gospel verse, he says, I'm gonna rebuild, um, which means he loves rebuilding. He loves repairing breached walls. So I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, maybe in a time of more quiet and you know, if kids are jumping on you or not, but ask Holy Spirit, is there anything you want me to receive from you? Not do for you, receive from you. Is there anything you want me to receive from you? And just wait and just listen. And then ask this question, what do you want to rebuild? Not me. I'm not talking you gotta do, but ask God, what do you want to rebuild? Because Amos 9 says, the Lord will do this. And let him speak. Let me pray. So Jesus, I just thank you for this time. I thank you that you have really actually come into our life as savior and as a friend and as a king that our righteousness right now is complete as the father is in you and the father loves you. So you are in us and he is in us and we are adopted children of God and that will not be lost. And so Lord, may we be on this side of that raspberry bush. May we hear the love of the father. May we know that you're the encouraging one. May we know we have our righteousness in Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as, the, as, as those who are really wanting to walk and listening to you, when they ask you, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want them to receive that you would speak? When they ask you, what do you want to rebuild? May they hear your voice and listen to it. And Lord, we just, we thank you for this time. I bless the shore church in Jesus name, amen.